the news and information about every player, coach, and team in the National Hockey League. This is the Hockey Today Podcast. From ESPN. Hey, everybody. Oh, my goodness. Second round. Stanley Cup playoffs about to start. It'll be hard-pressed this round to top the drama of the first, but I don't have any doubt it will happen. All four series will be broken down by Pierre Lebrun and myself. We're going to hear from Kevin Bieksa, veteran defenseman of the Anaheim Ducks, facing off against Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers. And Matt Cullen of the Pittsburgh Penguins joins us to talk potential repeat. All right, here we go. Hockey Today, the podcast. Second round in the offing, my friend. Pierre Lebrun, you are in Toronto. Let's. Uh, we're going to talk... All things second round's got four terrific matchups coming up, uh, but a little fallout here. I wonder how things are in Toronto. Is the, the has the uh, center of the hockey universe exhaled now after a rollicking six-game first-round series between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Washington Capitals? What's the what's the feel around Leafland before we move on to the second round? Well, it's pretty much a guarantee that it's the last time during this era here that uh, they'll get a standing ovation three seconds after losing an overtime to series in the first round. And, and, and by the way, not that it wasn't deserved, but literally the very next day after this series and this year ended, the expectations rose in Leaf Nation that just making the playoffs now is not good enough. And, and that's going to be the interesting thing moving forward for Brendan Shanahan and, and Lou Lamarello and Mike Babcock in terms of managing you know, one of the sports great slash crazy markets is that the uh, expectations are, are going to move quickly here among this passionate fan base about where this team should be. And by the way, probably as it should, given the talent. But it's also, uh, you know, as you know, not out of the question that sometimes these teams take a step backwards sometimes in order to go forward. So we'll see uh, how they manage that going forward. Yeah, I see. I, I and it's true. And I, I saw someone refer to it on Twitter. They're like, I, I, "Has there ever been such joy and excitement at a first round ouster as there was in the aftermath of the yeah. uh, of the lease uh, game six loss?" And, and I think your point is is well taken. I mean, that was it was tremendous hockey, and it was. I think much, much different than any of us expected it would be in terms of the closeness, and especially given how good Washington is. And um, you know, I, I, it's, I, to me, these are the kinds of moments that are, um, you know, that they reaffirm a, a fan base, they reengage a fan base, and it makes me make me think of two years ago, or maybe three years ago, I guess, at the end of a Pittsburgh Columbus series. And uh, the same thing, the Penguins uh, went on to defeat Columbus in Game 6. And as Game 6 was winding down in Columbus, you know, the fans rose to their feet and gave the Blue Jackets a standing ovation, even though the game was, you know, the series was um, was coming to an end. And I thought, you know, that was that was a pretty special moment. But to your point, you know, the Blue Jackets didn't move forward, right? They, they took steps back. So um, let me ask you quickly then, do you, how important is this offseason then for Lou Lamorello and Brendan Shanahan and, and Mike Babcock in in continuing, you know, to make sure that there isn't that that step backward. Yeah, I mean, first of all, uh, there, there's, you know, again, managing expectations. I mean, Leaf fans expect that Lou Lamorello is going to go out and get a number one defenseman. So that has to be tempered. I mean, there's no question 
that's the area that the Leafs want to upgrade on. But so do 12 other teams this offseason. And as far as I can tell, only three or four teams are selling them. And it's not a one, perhaps. It might be more of a four. So uh, it's it's a tough thing. And, and I think, you know, I'm headed to the Leafs clean-out day here uh, in a couple of hours. But I think part of the message this summer will be, you know, that it's not going to be considered a disappointment by Leafs management if they don't get that done, that they're still going to treat this with a long-term view, right? I mean, maybe the best defenseman that's ever going to play with Austin Matthews is actually 17 years old right now somewhere. I mean, my point is, this isn't the summer to, 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 to nail down all the final holes on that roster. It's still, I think, Lou Lamarello is going to take a patient approach in continuing to improve this team. And, and that might be tough to swallow for some Leaf fans, right? Because now they're giddy. They've gotten a taste. They got the itch, needs to be scratched. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, if the trade is there this summer uh, or if there's a free agent that makes sense, although it's awfully thin after Kevin Shattenkirk, who will end up getting, you know, probably more money than he's worth. And I, and, and I like the player, but that's just the genesis of July 1st. Um, you know, if the trade's there, the Leafs will make it. But I don't think they're going to make it for the sake of it. And that's the thing I think Leaf fans have to get ready for. No, it's, it's going to be fascinating. And part of the, you know, I mean, we've right from the get-go, we sort of drawn parallels to young Chicago Blackhawks team, you know, back in 2008 and just as they were about to go on their cup runs and, of course, the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, back in 2007, losing in their first playoff round to a really good Ottawa Senators team and then, of course, going to back-to-back cup, cha- uh, cup finals in 08 and 09, which allows me my perfect segue. You know, I like how to introduce my own segues. If you're not going to do it, I am. But that allows me to segue into, oh, baby, Pittsburgh, Washington, part three, second year in a row. Dynamics are so so parallel. And uh, we're going to hear from Matt Cullen of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and he talked about it, uh, talks about it a little bit as well. But Washington Capitals, President's Trophy winner, top team in the NHL during the regular season, yeah, and this is—I want to ask you about this, but you know, obviously, coming through the first-round series in a in a probably in a manner that we didn't expect. Same thing last year, right? Against Philadelphia, Caps really fairly sluggish against a pretty ordinary Philadelphia team before facing Pittsburgh. And I—I uh, I want to ask you because you saw three of the games against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Do you feel differently about the Caps as they head into this second-round matchup against Pittsburgh? than you did a year ago? or which, Where do you see the cap? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I wrote this in our little roundtable thingy there, but uh, today that, uh, you know, this is as good as I've ever felt about the Ovechkin era capitals. It really is. And I know we're not alone because you, you picked them to go all the way. and and But, I, but I mean, it's one of those things that, that I'm saying you feel for, for real. And, and leaving the rink on Sunday night there at Canada Center, I was like, wow, this Washington team is showing the signs. I mean, they had the killer instinct right at the end of that series. They put their foot right on the Leafs' throat in the final half, third period, and, and overtime where they dominated. And I thought that was an excellent sign, you know, not letting it go away from them and going to a seventh game and all the histrionics that would have gone with that. Having said that, <laughs> it's I'm contradicting myself, but I just couldn't pull the trigger on picking them against Pittsburgh. I just, it's just like institutional almost for me that. I've seen Crosby rise so many times in his career to the challenge. And let's face it, he's never lost any game of import to Alex Ovechkin, right? I mean, I'm just saying, it's 
it's just so it's one of those things where I know Washington can finally do it. I truly feel this is their best chance to beat Pittsburgh, but I need I guess I just need to see it before I believe it. <laughs> I, I'm with you, and I and I, I mean I'm with you in the sense that I'm I feel much differently about this Washington team heading into an epic clash. I mean, who does, it, again? It's it's so it's so unfortunate given the the playoff system that this is a second round series, right? I mean, in a perfect world, these two teams, which I I think it's fair to say, I think actually Craig Custins may have suggested suggested this in the roundtable this morning. These are the two best teams left in the playoffs. If you had to rank them one to eight right now, I. I I think you'd be hard-pressed not to have Pittsburgh-Washington at the top of your list, with all due respect to Anaheim and, you know. But this Washington team, I thought, and I think it's going to be interesting, especially in games one and two on uh, beginning on Thursday in Washington, I just think they're at this, they're already at amped up, right? They, They don't have to go anywhere, I don't think, to be at the level they need to to compete with uh, the defending Stanley Cup champions. Now we're going to we're going to find out pretty quickly. But I thought that was the real problem for them last year against Pittsburgh. And you and I both covered that series. And mm-hmm. just, they they just never never seemed to be right on the same plane. Even when they won Game One, I just never felt that the Caps were where they needed to be against Pittsburgh. And um, we are going to hear from Matt Cullen in just a second. I, what do you what surprised you about the Pittsburgh Penguins team coming into the second round? A, a very you know, it was a very physical, tough series against Columbus, but ultimately done in five games. What impressed you about the Penguins as as they head into this series against the uh, Capitals? Nothing surprised me. I mean, I, I had picked them to beat Columbus and uh, and a very good Columbus team, but I, I I thought Pittsburgh really looked dialed in coming down the stretch, and uh, so uh, that was the expected result. And and you know, the Penguins can beat you in so many different ways. You know, the Columbus, which has the physical advantage, really tried to to use uh, their physical advantage, but the Penguins just, they're that great flexible lineup that can play a million different ways. Same thing with Washington last year, right? Washington's a heavier team than the Penguins, and and that physical edge just didn't play itself out. You know, they were hoping to wear down the Penguins' defense last year. Remember all the talk early in the series? We're going to pound them, we're going to pound them. And it just, they didn't, and they didn't end up spending enough time in the Penguins' zone. Same with Columbus. Um, now, maybe this is the year because there's no Chris Letang that the Penguins have a harder time getting out of their zone in the capital setup shop. That I could very much see that happening. But until it does, I mean, all we know from the Penguins is they just find different ways with their speed, their experience, their creativity, um, you know, to, to get out of trouble. And they spend a lot of time in the offensive zone. They've got a million different ways to beat you offensively. It's so hard to zero in matchup-wise. As it, you know, same as ever. Do you go after Malkin or Crosby? Uh, Kessel dialed in. Man, it's a, it's a tough team to defend against. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I can't wait for this series to start. It's going to be, I don't think there's going to be any letdown. I mean, the first round was incredible, right? 18 overtime games, an NHL record. But I, I, this this series specifically is must-view, must-watch uh, hockey. So I'm looking forward to it. And on that note, we're going to hear from Matt Cullen. Uh, two-time Stanley Cup champion and looking for a third and also a longtime friend of Hockey Day, the podcast. So here's our uh, my conversation with Matt Cullen of the Pittsburgh Penguins. All right, here we go. Hockey Today, the podcast. And for longtime listeners, you'll recognize this voice, Matt Cullen of the Pittsburgh Penguins, a longtime friend of the podcast. Now, Matt, it, sometimes it's like one of those... Uh, 
you know, varying degrees of elite status, but you're pretty much near the top of elite status for Hockey Day, the podcast, for uh, your your contributions over the years. And I wish I could say I have a nice big prize for you, but I don't. But uh, welcome back. Yeah. How, how are things? Good to hear your voice yeah. again. Yeah, good to, good to be on with you, Scott. Uh, no, really good. Things are good. It's uh, it's nice to get, get going here again. We've got a little break in the schedule, but uh, oh, nice to get going and uh, always nice to talk to you. Well, it's kind of you to say that. And uh, it, do you, is there a little sort of deja vu, um, if I can paraphrase Yogi Berra, deja vu all over again? You're getting ready for the second round, and uh, a year ago, of course, same thing. You were getting ready to face the Washington Capitals. A year ago, they were coming off a President's Trophy regular season, as they are this time around. Is there is there almost a comfort you know, when you play a team – you know, sort of on the same platform, the same same stage. I mean, is there any? What's that like? I guess when you when you do that year after you know year from year. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, you know, it doesn't seem very common that you play a, such a similar team the following year. And you know, we, we, you're looking at two teams that are pretty good teams, and um, to to have you know nearly identical teams back. Uh, you know, they've added a few different guys, and so have we, but not a lot. I mean, the core of the same teams are back, and it's the same scenario in the second round again. And um, I guess it's kind of one of those that you, you know, you kind of could sort of see coming. Both teams have played really well. And, you know, when you look at the playoffs before they start, you're like, wow, that's going to be another tough matchup in the second round. If you get there, you know, you never look too far ahead, but you kind of can, can circle that one. And obviously we've seen a lot of each other as teams the last couple of years and are very familiar with each other's games and, you know, there's there's no love lost there, so it's uh, I, I would I would imagine it's going to be a really good series again, like last year. I mean, it was a great series, a really high level of hockey and good pace, good you know physical series, and um, I would kind of expect the same again this year. Yeah. Now you guys have been off. Now I was looking at the calendar. I think you finished last Thursday. Does that sound right? With uh, Game Five against Columbus. Um, yeah. Um, but, yeah, give or take, whatever. It, you will have been off, I think, about a week when you start up game one in Washington. Um, like, yeah. do, you watch, do you watch the other games? Or like, are you a fan? I know you, I mean, you've got a house full of boys who are hockey fanatics. Yeah. Do, do you get a – is there a time, you know, when your series is done, as it was with the Columbus, where you sort of slide back into being a fan and you're watching playoffs? Or are you watching always – critically looking okay washington toronto okay here's their tendencies here's what they're doing or what's what's that like for you yeah actually it's it's unique because um in my experience i haven't i haven't been through this where we have had such a long break between rounds i just it's never come up this way so it's a new experience for me and i i enjoy watching the games i'm a fan but i guess when when i watch that you know the toronto washington series i definitely tried to watch it a little bit differently just knowing that, you know, we'd be playing one of them. And I think met, from a mental standpoint, you try to stay engaged in it in, in a certain way. Obviously, you know, through practices and video at the rink, you stay engaged. But I think just on your own time when you're home, when you watch that game, you're you're watching kind of both sides more intently than you would say, a, a you know, a, a Western series. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a different sort of challenge. I mean, you get the advantage of, getting rest and allowing your bodies to recuperate. It was, we had a real physical series with Columbus and um, to allow your body to heal up and to allow some of our guys to get closer to, to their return to the lineup is big for us. But at the same time, you you know, you have to push yourself to stay physically engaged and stay mentally engaged. And so, yeah, when I'm at home, I watch 
I watch those games and, you know, especially during this long stretch, I watch them a little bit more closely. And, you know, obviously with three hockey playing boys in the house, it makes it quite a bit easier. Um, you know, we have a lot of fun watching all the games and so I have a lot of company watching the games. So that makes it fun. You know, it's, it's the best time of the year. And, uh, so I, it's, it's, it's awesome. Do you, now, do the boys offer any advice on which would be a better opponent for you? Like, if you're watching that Toronto-Washington series, are they? Do they want to see you and facing off against uh, Alex Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom, or are they looking forward to uh, you know some Austin Matthews in the Leafs? Did, did you get some vibe from them? You know, a little bit, of, a little bit of both. I think they all are on their own program on it. Some will watch Washington, some will watch Toronto, and. Uh, it's it's just fun hearing their their viewpoints on a lot of it. We always we always go through the a little bit of a tradition that we have. We always go through the scouting report before the series starts. And I get a lot of input uh, from the boys on that, and you know how to score on the goalie and where to shoot. And, um, so it's kind of a fun. It's always a fun little ritual we go through, a little tradition we have, and um, it makes it fun. But it's fun as they as they've grown here, they get into it and seeing how excited they are with the games and. Um, you know, for me as a dad going through it, it's uh, it's so fun. Well, you and I talked about this a lot, you know, as time has, has passed. And you won a Stanley Cup in Carolina in 2006. And to be able to win a cup last spring and to share that with your boys. And, and they're around a lot. They do a lot of their educational work around the practice facility in Pittsburgh or in suburban Pittsburgh. And was it like you thought it was going to be? to share that with them and then to have your day with the cup um, with your family, which would have been much different than it was the case back in 2006. Yeah. You know, it was better than I thought it would be. It was, um, you know, we had it for a couple of days in the summer and uh, it was just really, really rewarding. I mean, when, you know, you go through the whole experience um, through the playoffs and, and winning the cup and it's, it's really a blur. I mean, you know, you're, you're so dialed in on, your games and getting ready for games and uh, the whole experience is a blur and it was great it was an awesome experience but having that time at home you know when the cup came to town to really step back and enjoy it with the family and the kids and you know share it with them and you know they were eating you know lucky charms out of it and all that doing the whole thing it was just like it was just really cool it was really a, a lot of fun to have it and uh, that that experience is pretty awesome it was more than I expected yeah. When you won the Cup in 06, you went and you were with the New York Rangers the next year. And so the whole the dynamic of, of repeating and trying to win back-to-back Cups is, was different. Well, you were gone, so that, it wasn't yeah. an issue for you. But now you're back yeah. and, and still with Penguins. Does it ever come up in the locker room? Like, I don't, Do you talk about the repeat do you talk about what it would be like to win back to back because history tells you it's so difficult to do or is it one of those sort of things that you don't really talk about i'm I'm just curious about the whole repeating dialogue if it ever comes up in the room you know we we don't talk about it a ton we talked about it a a little bit more at the beginning of the season just the challenge that lies ahead you know through the course of the season and uh to try to repeat and obviously it's you know, something that hasn't happened in quite a while, and it's not something that's easy. And I think, I know for me personally, that was a big part of my decision to come back was the opportunity to try. You know, we had a unique situation where we have nearly our entire team back from last year. Um, 
which is kind of a unique situation to be in. That doesn't seem to happen very often nowadays. And so to have that opportunity um, with the same group that you just did it with was something that for me was a big draw. And, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a challenge. There's, there's, it's not all been super rosy and easy, and, but I think we've managed a lot of the season really well and we were able to find ourselves in a pretty good spot going into the playoffs and, you know, had a really good season coming off of a cup win. And, um, it's been fun to go through it. It's been an interesting experience. You know, I didn't, like you said, I didn't have that after winning in Carolina. So it was something that I wanted, you know, it was a challenge kind of out there that I was excited about and kind of wanted to experience. And, um, and it's, you can see why it's not easy to, to repeat. It's tough coming off of that cup win and it's tough, you know, generating that same excitement, you know, throughout the course of the season that you had in the playoffs the year before. So, um, it's been fun to go through it with the group. I think we've we've learned a lot through it, and I think our team, you know, our, with the leaders we have and the core that we have, I think that you know our group has kind of grown stronger. But yeah, it's been, you know, to your to your question. I mean, that that was a big part of, of coming here. That's a big challenge that sits out in front of us all, and it's something that um, though we don't talk about it a ton, it's it's there. We all know it, and that's what we're here for. Yeah. Well, I can only tell you this: if you do. Uh, end up winning a second straight Stanley Cup, back to back. I hope you will remember the large role that appearing on Hockey Today, the podcast, played in that. So, just I, you know, I just want to plant that seed that there. I think you can connect the dots from A to B if it happens that way. But uh, a little bit of tra- a little <laughs> bit of time to travel no before then. But yeah. So anyway, I will let you get back on with your day, Matt Cullen of the Pittsburgh Penguins. And thanks as always for spending your time with us. And we'll uh, we'll see you down the road. Good luck against the Washington Capitals. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Scott. Good talking. If there is one player from the Washington Capitals that having watched them up close that you are looking forward to seeing if they can find another level or improve or is there one player from the Caps that you're looking forward to in this series that could maybe defy your prediction that this is still Pittsburgh's series to win is there a guy from the Capitals Mm -hmm. that you think might turn the tide for the for the Washington well I think the friend of the podcast Kevin Shattenkirk can has another level in him you know I think he he struggled at times there in that first round against Toronto and you know, it's hard when you come over mid-season in a deal like that to try and gel and find your place and so much talent on, on that roster. But I think Kevin Shattenkirk has the ability to, to, to own a moment here in this series, and, and so that's the guy I would zero in on. Yeah. I'll tell you the guy that I was – and there are two guys, actually. I was so impressed with Nate Schmidt, who came in and played uh, you know, when Carl Alsner – uh, was injured, and uh, you know there was some discussion about whether Carl Olsner might actually be a healthy scratch at the start of the playoffs in, in Washington. Now, whether that was just you know water cooler talk or not, but uh, I thought Nate Schmidt, who came in and was he moved the puck with great confidence and really sort of energetic force along that blue line, uh, and he took a big hit towards the end of Game Six. Uh, Leo Komarov, if I'm not mistaken. So we'll see if he's fully healthy moving forward. But I, I like Nate Schmidt in that lineup so that's maybe some interesting discussions or debates for uh, head coach um, Barry Trotz moving forward but the guy for me I mean I think the debate there you're right about everything Nate Schmidt did but he also was on the ice for some goals so I think that's the great balance that's the great catch-22 with Nate Schmidt is that he can he can do all those great things offensively and transition wise but but defensively you lose a bit obviously compared to a guy like Alsner 
Exactly. Yeah, no question. Uh, the guy for me, though, and I didn't know what you thought of his play, but Evgeny Kuznetsov and played on a line that I think ultimately was was the best line for probably for both teams in in the series. And that with uh, Justin Williams, Mr. Game 7, uh, Marcus Johansson, the uh, Game 6 hero with both uh, both goals in the overtime victory. And Evgeny Kuznetsov, the, the great raw talent, commands the puck so well. It reminded me a little bit at times in that series uh, of the Evgeny Kuznetsov in the playoffs two years ago when he really had a, a breakout postseason. Uh, but I, I thought he struggled to finish, and I thought I'm just I'm waiting for him to sort of deliver the goods on the on the score sheet, and I think that will be critical against the Pittsburgh lineup, as you mentioned. Pierre is very deep and really zoned in. You know, Evgeny Malkin, 11 points in the first round. Uh, go down that list. It, what did you think of Kuznetsov in that first round? I thought he was terrific, and I thought that line really took over in Game Six, especially uh, in Toronto. Um, I mean, listen, what else can you say about Justin Williams? <laughs> literally have run out of ways to describe how clutch that guy is. But Kuznetsov and his speed really peeled back the Leafs' defense and, and had them on their heels a lot. And, you know, it, as you said, I mean, we absolutely crushed Kuznetsov last year for how invisible he was in the playoffs. But he uh, yeah. he, uh, he he took a real step, I thought, in the first round against Toronto. So, all right, let's move along to. I always feel I feel like I've been apologizing for my view of the Ottawa Senators now for about eight months, but, and it's and it, I actually promise. It's okay, last buddy. Week, I, it's okay. I, I'm going to get on that Senators bandwagon, and when it came time to make the pick, I I, I couldn't. I looked at the Ranger lineup. I looked at the Senators, and I, I couldn't bring myself to do it. I just I still think the Rangers are the team that even though they are going to start on the road uh, in, in the second straight series, having started on the road in, in Montreal in the first round, I just, I, I just, there's some, I can't bring myself to pick the Senators to win this series. And, and I, I looked around a lot of the prognosticators, and it's very similar to the first round where so many people like Boston to beat Ottawa, and as, except you, my friend. And uh, I wonder... Do you, is there something magical? Is there something, is, this, I mean, is it too early to call Ottawa a team of destiny as they you know, advance to the second round, probably surprisingly, uh, given where they started the season? What, what's your take on, on the Senators and, and maybe your overview of the series against the Rangers? Yeah, you know, there's, there's such a great feel about that team. And uh, remember, I, when we started the playoffs, I was shocked how many people weren't, didn't think they had a chance against Boston. I mean, I, I took Ottawa. Now, I took the Rangers here, again, for some of the reasons that you talked about. I think the Rangers are a much deeper team than Boston. Going to be tougher matchup-wise for the Senators. To, they can't just focus on one line like they could with Boston. Um, but having said that, I certainly wouldn't put it past the Senators. I mean, the Rangers aren't – I mean, they're not a juggernaut. So, I mean, this is the this is the interesting series of the second round in the East because everyone assumes whoever wins it still won't have a chance against the winner of Pittsburgh-Washington. But – uh, I, I just I love that mojo on this Senators team. Eric Carlson for me is the Conn Smythe front runner right now. After one round, I know it's always silly when we do the one round Conn Smythe, but to me it's got to be Eric Carlson. Just been all world, and you know that'll be something for the Rangers to worry about that they really didn't have to in the first round. Shea Weber was terrific, but different kind of player uh, in terms of what Carlson can do all over the ice, and uh, no question, a lot of LA Vigneault's preparation uh, will center around Eric Carlson. Do you, do you think 
when we looked at that first round series, the Rangers and, and Montreal, uh, obviously uh, some exercising of some demons for Henrik Lundqvist, who was 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 not very good last year in the first round against Pittsburgh. He was yanked in the final two games of a five-game series loss to the Penguins. Um, had some definite up-and-down moments during the regular season there and a lot of discussion about, you know, it's a window closing on Henrik Lundqvist, uh, one of the great goaltenders of his generation, and yet he was so pivotal in, in, in battling Carey Price in that first round and was, was the difference maker in a very, very tight six-game series victory for the Rangers. Any concern for you about sort of a, you know, a step back or an exhaling for Lundqvist? Or do you think he's the kind of guy that gets dialed in and, and this is going to be a real issue for the Senators in, this, in the second round is how to get the better of Henrik Lundqvist? Mm-hmm. No, I think he's, he's dialed in. I mean, that was, you know, I go back to the very first period against in Montreal in the first game of that series. I mean, the Bell Center, an absolute house of horrors for him throughout the course of his career. And... It's not that he looked great in that first period because I think a couple of times the puck kind of hit him and he was looking elsewhere, but he stopped it. And mentally, I think that did wonders for him. I think the Habs had 16 shots on goal in that opening period of the game one, and he got out of it. And I, I just feel like that was huge for him, right? I, I just felt like mentally he took off from there. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I can't imagine why there'd be any letdown in his performance at this point. Is there is there someone from Ottawa that you look forward to as as you mentioned Eric Carlson? But is there, you know, is there someone who you could see having a breakthrough series against the Rangers that could maybe defy all of uh, all of us who picked the Rangers and maybe keep this Ottawa dream going? Is there a guy that you think, ah, uh, you know, it still might be some magic there that that really could turn the turn the tide in this series? Yeah, I think Alex Burroughs is a, is a guy of note for me. You know, I mean, he came over in the trade. He's had some good moments, but then there's some games where there's not so much going on. He's been a great veteran in that room, but I just feel like there's an OT goal in his future here. So he'd be the guy. Yeah, nice. nice. I, I got to tell you, the guy for me has been, I, and, you know, who doesn't love what Clark MacArthur has done? Uh, a guy whose career you know, looked like it was going to be over, you know, multiple concussion issues and missed most of the last two years. And, uh, you know, just to see him come back, and I, and I know the, uh, um, the coaching staff and management in Ottawa have talked about his, his play on the defensive side of the puck too, blocking shots. And I, I just, I, I watch him with awe, right? I mean, a guy that you just, you just think that every hit might be, you know, you sort of cringe whenever he takes a, takes a shot, but, you know, he's, he's, proven himself to be game worthy and of course scoring uh, the overtime winner in game six uh, pretty emotional stuff and it's gonna be interesting to see if you know there is that there's a lot seems to be lots of good mojo and magic in that senator's room here I, i'm talking myself out of my own pick for the second there round. you go yeah so there you go um all right my friend i think this is good this is i think feel a good second round flow going of course we're going to talk western conference in the second segment of Hockey Today, the podcast. So do not go away. In fact, no one should leave. Stop what you're doing, because we'll be back in 60 seconds with the second segment of Hockey Today, the podcast. All right, here we go. Pierre, did you move? Like, when I told you not to move, did you move, or what did you do in the last minute? I I did not. I did not. I'm very zen. Ah, good. I'm glad to hear that because generally speaking, I've over the years I found that sometimes you do not follow my instructions fully. So I'm glad that you did in this uh, <laughs> in this case here. Uh, Western Conference, my friend. 
Uh, let's start with uh, – I think both these series are going to be terrific and, and, and both offer a multitude of storylines. But let's start with the number one team left in the Western Conference, the Anaheim Ducks, and a team that finished just oh so close behind them during the regular season and a team that has returned to the playoffs with a vengeance. The Edmonton Oilers, uh, Connor McDavid, the scoring champ and likely Hart Trophy winner, guiding – the Oilers to their first playoff victory since the West Final back in 2006, a series that I'm so old that I actually covered and recall quite fondly. Um, Do you think we give the Ducks enough credit for what they've done? 18 games in a row without a regulation loss, 15-0-3. They smoked Calgary in four straight. Uh, I know the Flames will argue that the series was closer than the uh, final outcome, but what's what's your take on the Ducks as we head into the second round? Yeah, no team playing better. And, and you know, there's such an interesting tale because, of course, the, a lot of the advanced stats community doesn't like them. Uh, they don't like them because, they, you know, Randy Carlyle's style and the numbers. But I, I would say those numbers have improved a lot late in the season. And, and by the way, as has the team. You know, the, the eye test matches the numbers, I think. And, uh, you know, they're, the biggest concern that I think we had for the Ducks through the first two-thirds of the year is that they still struggle to score goals. Yeah. But, you know, excellent pickup by Bob Murray and getting Patrick Keyes at the trade deadline. Really one of the great pickups uh, because he's really filled in uh, one of the slots in the top nine. And by the time that series with Calgary ended, I mean, there was Nate Thompson centering Corey Perry and Ricard Raquel. <laughs> Ryan Getzlaff on another line with Patrick Keyes. And, of course, you've got the amazing Kessler-Cogliano-Silverberg line that never gets touched. Wow, suddenly you got three lines scoring goals, right? Um, yeah. And so their depth up front and, and the way they've found some balance late in the year to me has been a huge story as to why they've, they've really taken off. Really no need to talk about the defense other than the health of it. Uh, looks like Cam Fowler's on the mend. If not game one, then should be game two. Vatanen is skating. Uh, uh, Hampus Lindholm didn't skate. I, think, I don't think he practiced with his teammates, but skated beforehand. Um, Monday, so it looks like all the pieces are... I mean, they're going to have a headache when they're healthy. Who sits out? Montour played so well against uh, Calgary, and, and Theodore's really become a stable. Uh, man, that's nice to have those problems if you're the Anaheim Ducks. Yeah, no kidding. And that's it's funny. We're going to hear from Kevin Bieks in a few minutes here, and he talked uh, about that. And you mentioned you know, Sammy Vatanen played in just one game in the first round, and as you mentioned, Cam Fowler unable to play, but looks like he's headed back. But you know, Kevin Bieks was the... You know, he was the lone veteran guy for, you know, a lot of that first round, and yet they played very, very well. And you're right, the promise. Yeah. Well, Lindholm's a veteran too, I'd say now. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true too. But still very young, right? I mean, this is a, mm-hmm. this is the interesting thing. Do you? Uh, I, I'm curious to see your thoughts on. We talk about Ryan Kessler, and I, I asked Kevin Bieksa about his evolution, and a guy I think will probably win his second Frank J. Selke Trophy as the the top two way forward in the, in the game. Later It'll this, be close. Uh, It'll be between uh, definitely between him and Bergeron, I think. I, I voted Kessler, but I think a lot of people voted Bergeron. It'll be close. Yeah, no, very close. And, and But certainly a, a tremendous season for Ryan Kessler. And uh, The expectation, of course, is that when Randy Carlisle gets the matchup that he wants, he's going to have Ryan Kessler out of it against Connor McDavid. And I wonder what you think 
you know, there's, I don't want to say grumbling, but certainly, and especially because Austin Matthews was so dynamic as that series between Toronto and Washington went along and really sort of, you know, rose to the challenge there, even though the Leafs ended up losing. And, you know, Connor McDavid was, you know, his presence was a little more muted, even though the Oilers beat San Jose in six games. Uh, he had one shorthanded goal, one empty net goal. He had four points total. Um, and still the Oilers found a way to beat last year's Stanley Cup finalists. Do you think, what do you think of the pressure is going to be like on Connor McDavid now entering games, the second round, round two, and likely getting a healthy dose of Ryan Kessler on a nightly basis? How do you see that playing out? Well, I tell you, you <laughs> I don't know if you can ask for a tougher opening two-round uh, assignment uh, in terms of matchups and what Connor McDavid is getting. I mean, he starts the playoffs against Vlasic and Braun. <laughs> I mean, no one wants that. And Vlasic, as you know, one of the great defensive defensemen in the NHL and his partner Braun, they, they form a great uh, duo, and they were terrific against that Oilers top line. And now, of course, he's going to get a, a, nice, a nice helping of, uh, of that Kessler-Cogliano-Silverberg line, which is just murderous. Um, so, yeah, it's, yeah, do you expect a bit more offensively from Connor McDavid? Yes, but let's also, you know, you know, acknowledge how brutal the matchups are in the first two rounds yeah. for him. So I, I think he'll find a way above it. Um, now, it didn't help that certainly Leon Dreisaitl, who had such an amazing partnership with him in the second half of the year, it was revealed after the series, got really sick at the flu bug, and his performance was really hurt by it. And You know, and so so that affects, I think, the line when, when those two guys are playing together. Uh, so there is certainly that. But whatever the case, I mean, I, I think we'll see... Uh, you know, I better make David here in this round. Yeah, and and, and to Leon Dreisaitl's uh, um, benefit or to his credit, he you know, and especially after you know he, he took a fine for a nasty spear in that seven nothing loss. I, I, for me, that was such an interesting part of that series in the first round against San Jose when the Sharks knotted the series at two games apiece with a seven nothing drubbing and. How the Oilers responded. Dreisaitl was was a catalyst to the victories in the last two games. Cam Talbot was spectacular, right? I mean, he played the way you have to have your goaltender play if you're going to advance in the playoffs. And just, I thought it was a real statement for the Oilers to bounce back from a uh, an, an ugly loss that looked like it might have, you know, in theory, have shifted the whole momentum towards the Sharks. Did, did, what did you learn, or what did you? How important do you think the the finish of that series was for the Oilers, and especially as we look forward to, you know, what will be an even more difficult challenge against Anaheim? Yeah, I mean, you talk about playoff lessons learned. That, that was tremendous. That, you know, not only the way they responded after that seven nothing drubbing, and by the way, also down three one in Game Five. You talk about pressure. Uh, you know, tying that game late, winning in overtime, and then playing a beautiful road game to close it out in San Jose one of the tougher buildings in the NHL. They, regardless of what happens against Anaheim, they will look back on just even that sequence in the first round and be, and be forever better for it. I mean, they understand now what it takes. You know, they weren't prepared for that game four. They, they felt all giddy and good about themselves after being up 2-1 in that series and got crushed by a veteran, veteran team. So that's a tremendous lesson, overcoming that. <clears throat> and, and now they'll get more. I mean, Anaheim, much like San Jose... I think, I think I read the other day that the Ducks of their 18 playoff wins over the last three years are second only to Chicago in the West. So here come more playoff lessons. This is a veteran Ducks team, you know, that's been knocking out the door here for a few years. 
You know what I love about you is that you just provide the beautiful segue. I don't even have to jump back in. Beautiful segue to uh, hearing from Anaheim defenseman Kevin Bieksa and a guy, given his experience in Vancouver, went to a final in 2011 with that Canucks team and now part of a, uh, of a Ducks team that, uh, that has lots of unfinished business given their recent playoff uh, performances. Lots of success, but not the su- success that they're looking for. So here is my conversation with Anaheim defenseman Kevin Bieksa. All right, here we go, hockey fans. Uh, hockey Today, the podcast. A Western guest, Kevin Bieksa of the Anaheim Ducks. Kevin, I, I, I had this idea that maybe you've been sitting around with your slippers on for a week after the Ducks swept the Calgary Flames. And I, I wonder what that period of time is like as you recuperate from one round while keeping an eye on, on the rest of the teams that are still playing you know, in the Western Conference, getting ready for the second round. What's that process like for you? Well, it's a little bit of rest for sure, and, and the weather's been great in, in Southern California, so I've been out uh, getting D and recovering that way, but um, usually when you get a couple days off, um, you know, you get to participate in some of the family activities a little bit more, so I was actually at the rink quite a bit with my son for hockey, got to go on the ice with his team, uh, got to see some of my, so- my uh, daughter's soccer games that I've been missing in the last couple weeks, so spending a lot of time with them because I know as the playoffs go deeper and deeper and probably going to see less and less of them. So it's, it's been a nice couple of days. Now, do you watch when you're, you know, factoring in family time and, and whatever Randy Carlisle has you guys doing in terms of between series workouts and stuff, do you watch the games? And, and if so, are you able to step back and watch as a fan or assuming when you were watching San Jose Edmonton, maybe watching a little bit more critically or what's that process like? Uh, I, I watched a little bit of the the San Jose Edmonton games, um, maybe like maybe a couple periods of the last two games, and uh, I, I kind of watched them with my son. He he's also into hockey, obviously, so we can do that together. Uh, I watched a little bit of the Leaf Washington game last night, uh, but other than that, not a whole lot. I think you're you're around the game so much and. We, we practice and we train at the rink during the day, and there's so much going on that I think you try to step away from the game as much as you can at times. Yeah. Now, was your son lobbying for a second-round matchup with Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers? Is he okay with this matchup for you guys? Yeah, I think he's okay. I, I, he's, um, he's still a little bit young. I don't think he knows too much of Connor yet. Um, his favorite player was Datsuk, who, who just retired, so... That's kind of the kind of guys that he likes, uh, but he, he's excited for it. His, his school is uh, really into the the playoffs now. They all got Ducks T-shirts and they wore them all at school. Uh, they do actually every Friday and they have an assembly. So the, their, their school is kind of getting behind the Ducks, and it's exciting. Dang, it's it's starting to become really exciting around here. Very cool. Now, this is this will be back to back trips to Canadian markets for you, and of course, your experience in Vancouver. You understand very much of what goes into it. Do you do you look forward to going into a marketplace like Edmonton, first time in the playoffs since '06, and obviously the first playoff victory for them since that trip to the finals? Do you love the buzz, even though you're sort of the hated guy now, coming in as the opponent? Do you love the idea of playing in Canadian markets, uh, Calgary in the first round, and now moving on to Edmonton? Yeah, I do. I think that around the series like you said and and we just came out of calgary where uh it was fun to play in calgary the fans were loud and and, and sure they were booing 
booing me every time I touched the puck, but it was it was fun to see them so passionate and so involved, and and our crowd was great in the first two games as well. So I think uh, obviously it comes with a lot more media and scrutiny, but I think that's more on Edmonton's shoulders than it would be ours. I think we we kind of go about our business, do our thing. Uh, don't read too much into the, the stuff in the media. Let the Oilers hopefully deal with that stuff and, and use that as an advantage. Now, interesting first round for you specifically and for the rest of the Ducks with, of course, Cam Fowler out now. It looks hopeful that he may be back and, and Sammy Vatten missing time as well. Did you sometimes look up and down the blue line and with guys like Shea Theodore and Josh Manson and uh, Brandon Montour suddenly feel a little bit older? I'm not saying you're old, but did it feel like you were suddenly uh, the old man in the group uh, missing a couple of those veterans in that first round? Well, we we got really young in a hurry there, and and the guys that you just mentioned, Cam and, and Sammy, aren't very much older actually. They're probably around the same age, twenty five, twenty four. So there's a, obviously there's a lot of young, uh, talented guys. Not a whole lot of playoff experience there, but I thought we we held strong. I thought um, as a group we're pretty deep, and we were able to all contribute. And uh, as we get guys back, though, we'll get stronger and stronger. Yeah, do you find that those younger guys, I mean, it's it's really a pretty defined line. Like the veteran group is, is up front, obviously, uh, with Ryan Gesslaff and all those guys. But with the young guys on the blue line, do you find that they come to you, that they're looking for advice given your playoff experience? Or is it like that at all? Is it, you know, do they come looking to you for, uh, you know, to provide a role model, I guess, in the playoffs? Well, yeah, I don't know. At times, I'm definitely getting some questions about certain situations, and I think it's kind of my responsibility just to kind of monitor the mindset of all the defensemen. We're we're a tight group, and we always have been. We've uh, since I've been here for the two years, we've always been a, a very positive group uh, with each other, and just trying to kind of manage the mindsets and keep the young guys focus but not too jittery but not too comfortable it's, it's a tricky thing but you know there's guys that come to me with questions and i just kind of try to calm their mind and support them where i can because we want everyone playing as good as they can but we've we've done a great job i think as a decor in the first round it's going to get a lot harder here with edmonton i think they're have a lot more firepower than than calgary did so we're gonna have to be good again I think one of the interesting parts of the series and people are sort of projecting and looking forward to is Ryan Kessler maybe spending some time on the ice with Connor McDavid. You've known Ryan for a thousand years. Uh, you go back to American Hockey League days in Winnipeg. Is he any different now? And, of course, you played with him in Vancouver when he won a Selkie trophy uh, his first time. And I suspect, I think it's fair to say, he's probably the odds-on favorite to win it again this year. Is Is he any different this time around, like when you see what he's done this year and um, the kinds of things he's accomplished and, and, and the leadership role he has now, see any different now than, than maybe when you knew him back in Vancouver? He's, he's obviously developed uh, his game a little bit and uh, he, he's emerged. Uh, he's, he's very confident. He's, uh, he's extremely... I think he's just more or less settled into his role and I think maybe part of that has to do with being out of the Canadian market where everything's nitpicked. He's able to kind of just do his own thing, and and he's, he's really flourished in that role. He's done very well. He's he's had a great season playing against the other team's top lines, and his line's done a great job of contributing offensively on a pretty pretty steady basis. That 
uh, a lot of times in the season, they were our best line offensively and defensively. So he's uh, he's really looking forward to this challenge, I guess. And, um, you know, he's, he's going to key in on Connor and, and do as good a job as he can against him. And that'll be a big, uh, big part of the series for us. If he can shut him down or at least slow him down, it's going to work in our favor. Yeah, no kidding. The, the other guy, of course, you've known for a long time is Randy Carlisle, and you, you weren't there in his first trip through Anaheim, but now obviously intersecting again with him. Uh, is he different? I think there's this notion that somehow Randy has mellowed over the years, and I wonder if he's different than you thought he was going to be when you knew that he was going to make his return to the Anaheim bench. Yeah, he's, he's evolved as well. There, there's different uh, parts of him than there were... 14 years ago and he's uh, I don't know if he's mellowed but he's certainly trying to mellow and, he, and he's putting in the effort to try to to be positive as much as he can and to be a little bit more uh, of a communicator especially with the young guys because that's that's the, the knock on a lot of coaches these days is they can't communicate with the young guys and the young guys need to be communicated with and talked to so uh, you know at the end of the day he's an old school coach though and he demands a lot out of the players and he wants guys to play hard and, uh, you know, sometimes he has to tell guys, and, and that's just the way it is. But uh, he's got the support of, of the leadership group, and he's done a good job of steering the ship. Good, good stuff. Well, listen, Kevin BX, I don't know if you were worried, you know, having been off, but I think you're literally at the top of your game. So this, that's, I think this bodes well for you heading into the second round. So I uh, certainly appreciate your time and uh, joining us on Hockey Today, the podcast, and hopefully uh, we can do it again sometime. But uh, thanks for dropping by today. It's been a pleasure. Okay, thanks for having me, Scott. I appreciate it. All right, uh, just before we move on to the final of the four series about to begin this week in the second round of the playoffs, Pierre, is there a, is there a matchup or a guy uh, with the, with either team that you are especially looking forward to? And we obviously talked about the Kessler-McDavid matchup, but is there, you know, is there someone else that you're thinking, okay, this is going to be interesting as uh, this Western Conference series begins? Yeah, I, uh, what about John Gibson? Ah, good call. Look at that. I was channeling John Gibson to you. Nice job. Well, I, I just think that, you know, he got pulled in the sweep over Calgary. I liked his response in game four. Uh, overall, a pretty good series, but he did get pulled. And, you know, I think there's still sort of that, that, you know they're so deep on the fence. Now we know they're they're they got great offensive balance, and it just feels like he's the one question that people still have about whether he's got the goods to to bring this team to a Stanley Cup final. So I, I think that's the guy I want to see how he comes out of the gates. Yeah, I, I mean, is there? Let's assume that we see the Cam Talbot. No, I mean, you know, Cam Talbot had you know he was he was part of that seven nothing drubbing too. So, but when you think about his play. Uh, pretty much in every other game against San Jose. Right now, do you give the Oilers the edge in goal? Do you put Cam Talbot ahead of John Gibson in terms of... I I do, yeah, just a slight edge. And and I think a lot of that is that Talbot has been a workhorse now for two years in a row, and I think this year was really consistent. I was kind of worried in March that not having a quality backup was going to hurt him because he was just playing so many games. But doesn't seem to have done that... um, and again, you want to talk about the bounce back from seven nothing as a team. What about the bounce back in Cam Talbot? For sure. Um, you know, so I, I do think I, I think it's pretty close. They're both young starters, but Talbot has a bit more on his resume, and uh, I think he starts the series to me with a bit of an edge. Yeah, 
No, I, I, to me, that's uh, that's going to be uh, an excellent series to watch as well. So, and now we'll move to the fourth and final series. I've sort of saved the. I, I like to think of this as maybe the the, the best for last in the sense of. Um, I know a lot of people like you like St. Louis to beat Minnesota in the first round, but none of us. I did. And, and, I and did. None of us. None of us like. And I'd like to at least put the caveat that when we did the uh, the preview podcast, I was like. Heart, I always felt a little heart uh, heart torn about not being able to pick Nashville over Chicago, but just mm-hmm. could not bring myself to do it. And of course, the Nashville Predators coming up with one of the most emphatic series victories in, in recent memories, and certainly one of the great upsets in sweeping Chicago and outscoring them thirteen to three in the first round. See, I, I, don't, I don't think it was. I don't think it was a great upset. I, I, well, I just I, I, okay. I know that I was absolutely torn in trying to pick between those two. And yeah. at the end of the day, I couldn't get my mind around the fact that the Predators have been so inconsistent all year long. But I, I honestly felt they were going to give Chicago everything they could handle. I, I was oh, trepidatious with yeah. the pick. Um, yeah. I, but I, I still, I'm going back, I wouldn't do, you know, going back, you know, Chicago was so dominant in the second half. I mean, I, I still feel that was, at the time, the right pick. But... Uh, the way the Predators' blue line completely controlled that series was just unbelievable. It's funny, I was talking to David Poyle, the, the veteran GM of the Predators, last weekend, uh, and kind of needed. I kind of had a therapy session with him because I was explaining to him why I didn't pick his team against Chicago. But but you know what? I mean, listen, he, he totally understood where a lot of us were coming from in terms of how his team never looked like it was completely gelling, right? I mean, they'd have these good weeks, and then suddenly they they go back in the toilet, and it was up and down all year. They make the playoffs as a wild card. Listen, he gets it. I mean, they've arrived. They've arrived at the at the great time of the year to arrive. But it's not like this was the plan. This is not what David Poyle had envisioned either. I mean, this is a team that I had in the Stanley Cup final back in September, right? So did Craig Custins. Yeah. So did a lot of people. And I thought, you know, I think you, you had them too. I thought they'd win the Central, but. They they just disappointed a lot of us throughout the regular season, and uh, and, and I think that's why so few people picked them to beat Chicago. But at the end of the day, I don't know. It's not that great an upset. I mean, eight against one is so misleading when you consider that most people had Nashville ahead of Chicago eight months ago, right? Yeah, true. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this question then. Um, do you sense... Because sometimes when this happens, or whether it's you know, it's shades of an upset, I mean, it is what it is, right? And, and for me, it's it's the manner in which they dominated a very very good Chicago team. And um, do, do you, if you are a Predators fan, or if you, and I, th- I think you know, again, the vast majority of us like Nashville to carry this on. Do you have any concern though about? Again, taking you know, exhaling and taking your foot off the gas when you've had uh, the kind of success that you know, it's, you know, the, that was the third time Nashville's played Chicago in the playoffs. They let them off the hook the first two times. Do you worry that there's any kind of settling back uh, with Peter Laviolette's uh, squad as they travel to St. Louis to begin the second round series, or do you think this team, like we talked about with Henrik Lundqvist, is this team dialed in and this is the Preds team that we? thought we were going to get in September and that we we're going to continue to get maybe going deeper than they've ever gone in the playoffs. Well, so this is, I, I, I know we're all about analytics now and we don't value sort of the psychological part of things, but I still love that stuff. And 
the same way that I think the Capitals are in such a better headspace entering the series against Pittsburgh because now they don't have that external pressure of, you know, everyone thought they should have beat Toronto in four and by three goals every night. Now they're in a, a monster matchup where they can just be themselves. This is what's interesting about Nashville is that, you know, they, they, you feed off that underdog us against the world, you know, mentality, I think. And, and now they're, they're a popular, trendy pick. So how do they deal with suddenly having a completely different role psychologically, right? Most people have them beating the Blues, even though I think that series is a total toss-up. Um, yeah. You know, same way in which one of the reasons I loved picking the Blues against Minnesota, and I'm just so much not shocked that they beat Minnesota, is A, the way the Wild finished the year was a lot of, a ton of red flags for me. But also the Blues have entered the playoffs this year for the first time in like seven or eight years where no one's talking about them. Zero expectations. You know, they traded Chattenkirk at the deadline. These guys are thinking long-term. They're not even trying to win this year. Oops. Yeah, they're in the second round now. So, you know, both these, the Predators and Blues, had the benefit psychologically of going into their series with, let's face it, no pressure. Now they're in a series where they both know they got a chance to go far if, if one beats the other. And I think it, it, it just, you have to readjust yourself mentally in that kind of series. Yeah, I think I, I I did some St. Louis radio the, earlier this week and said the exact same thing, that this is, in some ways, it's gravy for both these teams, right? I mean, they're playing with house money. And, and you're right, Predators are going to be the favorites, even though they're going to start on the road. The Blues, yeah, people are like, hey, well, you know, well, why not the Blues, right? Why not the Blues to, mm-hmm. to beat a, a very good national team? But the Blues, and I, I think what's interesting in this series is, you know, you get Paul Stastny back for game Five against uh, Minnesota, which they won in overtime. Stastny scores. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vladimir Sabatka. I mean, <laughs> guy plays three years in the KHL. Uh, finally, is repatriated to his former NHL team in, in St. Louis and signs a contract extension and steps right into the lineup like he's never been gone. I think he had three points, killing penalties on the power play. Uh, like, I, I know you picked the Predators, if I'm not mistaken, to win this series, but. What do you like about this Blues team, or is there a, a particular aspect of this Blues team going into the second round? And you think, yeah, this this really is going to be a back and forth and possibly seven game set. Well, again, you know, just like we just peeled peeled the onion for a second and remember that in September we all love Nashville to win the Central. Let's peel back the onion on St. Louis. A year ago, they're in the Western Final. They were they were the team that came out of the Central a year ago. What's different? They lost Bacchus. They lost Brower. They've lost Shattenkirk since then. Um, but uh, they've added Vladimir Sabaka, as you just mentioned. Um, and he's a heck of a player. I remember how disappointed Doug Armstrong was when Sabaka bolted to Russia. They had big, high hopes and big plans for Sabaka's place in that lineup at the time. I think they were talking about a top six role. Um, they loved his game. So getting him back is not just a small little wrinkle. That's a big deal for the St. Louis Blues. So they're, I guess what I'm saying is they're not that far from the team that a year ago was a couple of wins from a Stanley Cup final. Um, and they're playing a team that a lot of us like to go to the Stanley Cup final eight months ago. So this is, this is a heck of a close matchup. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. If you and I uh, end up uh, at a Stanley Cup final in a few weeks, uh, 
worse places to go than Nashville. I, I'm just saying. So I, <laughs> that factors into it, too. So. Uh, let me ask you a couple of housekeeping questions before we close this edition of Hockey Day, the podcast. Um, you know, I know that uh, I was watching with interest what Montreal GM Mark Bergevin was saying at the end of a disappointing series for them uh, against the mm-hmm. Rangers. Couldn't find enough offense to get going. Here we got, we have the National Predators. They're moving on. Does any of this change when you think back to the Subban Shea Weber deal like this? Are you do you do you feel any differently about that deal given the early returns on the team's playoff performances? And let's be you know that's it's a bottom line business. Bottom line is the Habs won the Atlantic and are one and done. Preds took them a long time, and it took PK Subban a long time. You know, he had injuries, and you know he really wasn't. I think he had one assist in the first round, so it's not like he was a catalyst. I don't want to minimize his role in the in the the, the victory over Chicago, but. You know, it's still taken some time for P.K. Subban to find his way in Nashville, but does the early returns in the playoffs make you change your view on that deal at any on any level? No, absolutely nothing that's happened this year has changed my mind about the deal. I mean, I think long-term, Nashville wins the deal. That's what I wrote the day of the deal last June. But in the short term, I love the deal for the Montreal Canadiens, and Shea Weber was a monster in that series against the Rangers. He's been a great player all year. Both teams got what they wanted. Um so uh, that deal has nothing to do with the fact that Montreal Canadiens lost in the first round. Uh, what's got a lot to do with Montreal Canadiens losing in the first round is that the guy they had penciled in as their number one center in September ended up as a fourth-line winger for most of the last <laughs> couple of weeks of the year, and that's Alex Galchenyuk. So, uh, or at times second-line winger or at times center. I mean, it really was quite the crazy season for Alex Galchenyuk. Uh, Mark Bergevin and Claude Julien, particularly in their comments in French, Scotty, yesterday I was watching the news conference. You know, usually you kind of sugarcoat or protect your player in that kind of end-of-season news conference. While they weren't, while they were still very respectful of a player they still believe in, they did not sugarcoat the disappointment they had in him. And in fact, Bergevin talked about, you know, the, the heart-to-heart that he had with Galchenyuk in their season-ending exit meeting, and he believes that Galchenyuk understands what he needs to do moving forward. And Bergeron, numerous times in his news conference, talked about they hope that Galchenyuk took a step back this year in order to take two steps forwards moving forward. They better hope, because you know that hole at center for the Montreal Canadiens is gigantic, and I think you know it was exposed in the loss of the Rangers. When you look at the Atlantic division moving forward, Scotty, I think Tampa bounces back and is a monster powerhouse again next year. I know you agree. So and who do they have down the middle? Stamkos, you know, Johnson, the great young Braden Point. They've got other players we know who can play center. I mean, Tampa's loaded at center. Uh, and we'll see. Tampa might make a trade or two. But as, as, as we speak today, right? Uh, yep. Florida, I think, is going to have a bounce back here. Barkov, Trocek deep down the middle. Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't think we have to tread too much water there. I mean, that's... <laughs> that's yeah. I mean, that's... Uh, we know what, what's going on there with that team. So, just look within the division. And I haven't even talked about, you know, Boston, Ottawa. Montreal's in trouble. Buffalo. Just yeah. within their own division down the middle. Yeah, Buffalo. So, th- this is... I understand when Bergeron says, well, you know, it's not, it's not a PlayStation game. You just don't go out and get a number one center. I agree. It's very hard. But 
you you have got you know whether it's Matt Duchesne or whoever else in this off season, you've got to beat the bushes and do everything you can to at least see if there's anything that makes sense. Because if your only hope heading into next year is that Galchenyuk will definitely turn the corner and be your number one center, boy, you're, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how you come back. And first of all, I don't think they win the division next year, but um, I, I think that's a, that's a lot to ask for. I really think they need to try and shake that up in this off season, if at all possible. Well, I mean, it's interesting because if, if I'm not mistaken, if you went back and listened to Mark Bergevin and his exit interviews a year ago, Galchenyuk was the focus there as, you know, the question. Well, he had a great ending could, last year, right? I mean, yeah, yeah exactly. And that that was and that was the story. That was the narrative, right? Listen, we're going to we're going to move on from, you know, what happened. And we are going to, you know, the, all the signs point positively. And you're right. So it's a huge step back. And, and you know, you mentioned Matt Duchesne and. It is going to be a fascinating uh, off season now for uh, for Mark Bergman because you you know they, you're right it I, it doesn't get any easier for them and you know Carey Price is is still he's got many years left of quality play but he, again you have to take advantage of one of the top two or three goaltenders in the world and one and done simply isn't good, going to cut it so no um, and by the way you mentioned Carey Price I mean that was really the news of the day yesterday I mean. You know, I know a lot of people uh, social media say, well, what else is he going to say? Not true. Harry Price does not just say things for the sake of the cameras. That's not his style. He's yeah. economical with his words and expressing his feelings. Okay. When he comes out and says, I plan on staying here. I plan on signing here this summer. I want to win a championship here. He means it. So that was big because really we had not heard from Carey Price publicly all year long about his future. And he's got one year left on his deal. You know, you could have had a Tavares situation on your hands in terms of the not really knowing how it's going to play out either way, although, you know, I'm hoping Tavares stays with the Islanders. But, you know, the fact that Price was pretty clear about his intentions I think was important in st- stabilizing at least that part of the offseason for the Canadians. Now, they still have to sign a deal. Uh, I mean, let's not kid ourselves here. That somehow, you know, the NHL's best goaltender still needs a big-time extension that fits within the Habs being able to put together a better team, right? So let's not just assume this is going to get done. It still has to get done. But I think just knowing that Carey Price wants to stick around it was, was important to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And it does. I think it puts more pressure on Mark Bergman than to, you know, to build the team around Carey Price that is, you know, it's – you know, it's it's not just a single piece, and and that, that was that was illustrated uh, very clearly for Montreal in their first uh, first round loss to the Rangers. All right, my friend. As always, a tremendous effort by you. Uh, no no worries there. And uh, as always, at this point in the podcast, I'd like to encourage people to go to iTunes. Give us a rating. Let us know what you think of our work here. Let us know what you think of the first round and what it lies ahead and what should be more drama as the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, unfold in the next days. So give us a rating. Do that. And, Pierre, I'm pretty sure you and I will be chatting again in just a few days and uh, on the next edition of Hockey Today, the podcast. But until then, bon fet. I didn't say that's it. That's happy birthday. I'm not even gonna say happy. Yeah, you're 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 uh, you're a couple of weeks late on that one, buddy. But uh, <laughs> good enough. Good enough. All, All right, right man. We'll talk later. Talk to you soon. We'd like to thank you for listening to today's show. For more great podcasts, check out the Pod Center page at ESPNRadio.com. <laughs>